Well, happy Sunday, everybody. It is uh, it's good to be here. <clears throat> what a privilege. My name is Kempton Turner, and uh, that was me on the video there. And uh, what, what a privilege to come back to my hometown uh, to see Jesus glorified like I'm sure it's your passion here in Edwardsville. And uh, I'm thankful for the invitation uh, from my new friend, Steve Mizell, and uh, I'm just looking forward to what God has in store for this new friendship and this, this new partnership as we seek to make much of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. My sweet wife, Karen, is not here with me. Uh, she is with my four young children at our, uh, our temporary church, our sending church, uh, The Journey, uh, Metro East, um, in uh, Belleville while uh, she gathers the children. Those of you with little children can identify that routine is needed, and we didn't want to just pluck them up, but I miss her. I love her, and um, we're we're just thankful for uh, this opportunity. Well, um, you you saw the video, and uh, you can imagine when uh, we're in the suburbs of Minneapolis doing ministry and and God is really blessing that. You can imagine when we told people that we were moving our family, uh, not just to plant a church in East St. Louis, but actually live in East St. Louis. You can imagine many people uh, and their looks on their faces. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, like, why would you go to East St. Louis of all places? Why, Kempton, uh, would you take your family of, uh, with four young children and your oldest a Christian has significant special needs. Why would you take him to uh, statistically what some call the most dangerous city in America? Kempton, why would you take your precious family to a city where drugs, alcohol, and prostitution flood the streets? Why would you take your family to a city where the median household income is $11,000? Why would you take your family to a city where um, roughly 60% of high schoolers drop out? Why would you take your family to a city where um, there are 85% of children who are raised in fatherless homes? And you know, um, this is how I want to respond to them. This is how I respond to you. I want to let the Bible answer that question. Because I actually have the same kind of question for this dude named Isaiah in the Bible. And so if, if you have your Bibles or if you have uh, access to grab a, a Bible near you, I think there might be a few black Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. I got a question for this dude. People are questioning me, but I'm questioning him. And there's a very popular verse, Isaiah chapter 6. Maybe you've heard about, heard somebody say this, or you've read this. Isaiah chapter 6. Just want to read for now verse 8. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 6 verse 8. He says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, 
send me. Stop. Hold up. My question for Isaiah is, what are you thinking, man? What are you talking about? God, here I am. Send me. Now, now listen, you don't understand maybe while I'm asking Isaiah that question because I don't know if you understand what Isaiah is signing up for. If you knew anything about Judah at this time in Israel's history, you would be saying, are you crazy, Isaiah? Let me give you a snapshot of what Isaiah says yes to. Go to chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, how the faithful city has become a whore. That's God's word, not mine. <laughs> Field, uh, whore, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. You see that? Isaiah, why would you want to go to a city who has become a whore filled with murderers? Look at verse 23. Your princes, your leaders, are rebels and companions of thieves Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. You see that? Your leaders passing money under the table. Why would you want to go to a city full of money-hungry rebels and thieves, Isaiah? Look at verse 23, the, the rest of that verse. It says, they do not bring justice to the fatherless, speaking of adoption in Orphan Sunday, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Injustice didn't start in our day. Isaiah, why would you want to go to a city full of fatherless homes and injustice? And then go to chapter 5. Just a snapshot. It's much worse than this, but let's look at verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11. Where Isaiah says, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them, getting drunk all day, all night. Isaiah, why would you want to go to a city where ungodly people get drunk from morning until night. Do you know what you're signing up for? Yes, Lord, send me. I'll go. Really? And then on the top of all that, look at chapter 6. A lot of people stop with verse 8, but look at verse 9. Look at what God says his, 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 his ministry is going to look like. Verse 9 says, and 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 Yahweh, the Lord said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Uh, let me give you an interpretation. Hey, man, most of the people you talk to are going to say, get the heck out of my face. God is going to like sovereignly blind the people that Isaiah wants to reach. Isaiah is discouraged. How do I know? Look at the next verse, verse 11. How long, oh Lord? Like, like how long are people going to keep flicking me off when I tell them that God loves them? 
the Lord says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak. Here's the good news. Whose stump remains when it is failed, the holy seed is its stump. It's going to be like a little stump. There's going, to, there's going to always be a group of people that will be faithful, but most of the people will not listen to you, Isaiah. And you see why I'm asking that question to him? It's like, listen, what could possibly sustain a person in the face of such hopelessness? What kind of ministry call is this? Again, why even go to Judah, Isaiah, and why go to East St. Louis? That's very similar to this, Kempton. Well, here's the answer. Can I just give three words? This is why believers go anywhere. Because of Jesus. Okay? Because of Jesus. This great and glorious Jesus of Isaiah 6 Maybe you've heard this passage read, but maybe you haven't understood the context and why verses 1 through 7 are so necessary because they are given to a God who has hopelessness all around him. And the only way he can look is up. Look at verse 1 with me. Let's read Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet with two he flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for This is why we go. This, somebody should be saying, I thought you said Jesus. This is the Lord. This is the Old Testament. Well, you know what? The best way to understand the Old Testament is to look at the New Testament. The New Testament is the best commentary and explanation of the Old Testament. And in the gospel, according to John chapter 12, verse 41, the apostle John gives a commentary on Isaiah 6. And verse 41 says that Isaiah saw Jesus Christ in Isaiah 6 which means that Jesus Christ existed in glory before he took on a human nature and became the Bethlehem baby. Do you believe that? How high is your opinion of Jesus Christ? That's going to determine how much you agree to when God says, will you go for me? Isaiah needed a high and holy vision of Jesus to sustain him. And, and this Jesus here in Isaiah 6 is closely connected with what you've been 
um, hearing over the last few weeks. I think you've been in the book of Acts. And the same Jesus in the book of Acts who tells his disciples to be a witness is the same Jesus here in Isaiah 6 who's telling Isaiah to be a witness. And in the book of Acts, I think you've maybe you uh, went through this uh, a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the key verse in the book of Acts when Jesus, the risen Christ, says, um, you will receive power by my spirit and my spirit will make you witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, here's the link between Acts 1 and 8 and East St. Louis. Samaria was a minority group of people racially that were despised by the majority race. And the king of love and grace says to his Jewish disciples, yes, even to the minority race of despised people around you, I want my name exalted. So for all the Christians in the St. Louis, greater St. Louis metro area, East St. Louis, Illinois is at least your modern day Samaria. Are you being a witness there and in places like it? Here's the encouragement from Isaiah chapter 6. The fuel, the power, the strength to say yes, to go to a place like East St. Louis or wherever hard place God sends you. The strength is found in the person of Jesus Christ, not in yourself, not in your theology knowledge, not in a seminary degree, not in how well you know the Bible, not on how well you love and serve people. The strength and power to say yes, to move into hard and difficult places, that power comes from seeing and experiencing Jesus Christ. And so, our prayer, Lord, is that in these moments you would give us eyes to see him. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the 500th time, Spirit of God, glorify Jesus in our hearts and send us out with passion for his glory. Amen. Amen. Would you be praying as we look at seven glimpses of the glory of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that we would see him and we would respond like Isaiah to whatever hard thing the Lord is calling you to. We would say yes, because he's worthy. Number one, right from the Bible, church, we go and do hard things in difficult places because number one, Jesus' reign, his reign Right here on the screen there. His reign is eternal. Look at verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. That that intro is not an accident. It's clear that the comparison that God's word wants you to see is that when this earthly king Uzziah died, that's when I saw the eternal king. Right now, Uzziah was this king. He reigned for years, years of successful leadership until he sinned and got proud and went to the temple and God struck him with leprosy. But this was the death of a popular king. 
When death happens, you have sorrow, you have chaos, you have a people that are unstable. And in the midst of the sorrow of Uzziah's death, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of this leadership transition and this instability, God wants Isaiah to know there is a king who is ever stable. When the human king dies, the king on the throne reigns forever. This comparison is so clear, and it's, it's meant to give you strength to say, yes, Lord. King Uzziah is dead. King Jesus is alive now and forevermore. He is risen. Amen? Amen. King Uzziah's reign is over. King Jesus' reign will be forever and ever. Just listen, a few chapters later, in a popular Christmas passage, Isaiah talks about the eternal reign of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 9, 7, quote, of the increase of his government, his government, and of peace, there will be no end. King Uzziah is finite. He has an end. King Jesus is infinite. He has no end. Listen. Only Jesus, no other human leader, has an unstoppable, unshakable, everlasting reign of love and leadership over his people. There is only one eternal, unchanging leader in the universe. He is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you see him, you will say yes. And your friends will call you crazy, but if you know this eternal reign of Christ, you can say, yes, Lord. You can say, yes, Lord. Number two. So Jesus' reign is why Christians go make disciples everywhere. But number two, we go into even danger at times because Jesus is Lord over all He's Lord over all. Look at verse 1 again with me. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the who? The Lord. The Lord. That's okay. Y'all can talk back. I saw the, help me out. Lord. Okay. We're looking at the same Bible. I don't want you, I don't want you to look at, I don't want you, I don't want there to be like a trailhead Edwardsville version of the Bible. I just want to make sure you have the text. So, um, <clears throat> is Lord. This word Adonai means boss, ruler, master. Listen, he saw the Lord. Do you see Jesus as Lord? Just a good guy, just a good teacher, just great teachings. I like him. But is he the boss of your soul? That's what that word means. He's, he's the sovereign master. Sovereign, just a big word that means he's in control of everything. All right? Everything. Jesus. He gets supreme honor as the boss over everything. Revelation 19, 16 says he's the king, capital K, of all kings, lowercase k. It says he's the Lord, capital L, of all lords, lowercase l. Listen, when Jesus came to earth, I mean, he was making it really clear that he was not just an ordinary human being, Okay? You look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look right in the, in the Gospels. Jesus shows up, and he shows off his lordship. 
He shows off to us that he is boss over everything. I mean, think about it. Jesus comes and he commands storms to shut up. To show off that he's the boss over all nature and weather patterns. All right. Jesus Christ shows up and he walks on water. He commands water to hold him up. Right. To show off that he's the Lord over all water, ocean, sea, lakes, ponds. Listen, Jesus Christ shows up in human flesh and he commands fish to jump into nets of his disciples until they can't even carry him to communicate to you and to me that he's not just a man, he's Lord and boss over all animal and fish life. Listen, Jesus shows up and you got these crazy demon-possessed people. Jesus, I know who you are. You know, all this craziness. And, and Jesus says, shut up. Get out of him. No, nobody can do that. Jesus tells demons to get out of demon-possessed people to show off that he has all authority over demonic activity. And then in John chapter 11, Jesus, listen, he shows up. You tell me who can do this. He shows up to a four-day dead, stinking man in a tomb. All right. And he speaks to him. Now, I was at my cousin's funeral yesterday. Nobody did that. Nobody went up to her coffin. If they, if they did, I was going to worship them. Get up, Catherine. Okay. Jesus did that. Lazarus, get up. This dead dude comes jumping out of the tomb because Jesus wants everybody in the universe to know that I am Lord over death. Listen, Jesus is Lord. This is what Isaiah needed to see in a city full of murderers, a city full of adultery, a city full of injustice, a city full of fatherlessness. The only thing that can sustain you is when you see there is an eternal king. And there's the Lord of all the universe. And he's my friend. And I can do hard things if this is the one who goes before me. Do you know this, Jesus? Do you trust this, Jesus? We, we the people of God, we love the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is, can I show you? This is the universal symbol of Christianity. Knees to the ground. Lord, take my life. Lord, take my heart. Lord, take my singleness. Lord, take my marriage. Lord, take my family. Lord, take my friendships. Lord, take my entertainment choices. Lord, take my thoughts and my desires, my cravings. Lord, take my hurt. Take my pain. Lord, take my adultery, adulterous heart. Take my idolatry. Lord, take everything, all of my mundane moments, all of my cares and my fears. I lay them at you your feet. Here I am. Send me. Is Jesus Lord? When he is, yes, it will be hard. Yes, you will be scared. Yes, tears may run down your cheek. But if he is Lord, you will say, 
if this one is with me, I will drop it at his feet and follow him. Jesus is Lord. But number three, number three, church, we go. Yes, Jesus is reign is eternal. Jesus is Lord over all. But we go because he's king judge of, of all. Look at verse one again. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne. Okay? Sitting up on a throne. He's sitting. Like, like you know, I, I was riding down, you know, State Street in East St. Louis. It's my hometown. And, you know, got a lot of guys sitting on, thinking they're, you know, a lot of rappers. I'm the king. I'm the this. You know, leaning back, you know, 20-inch rims. And I'm sitting on rims and all this. Man, look, that's foolish. Look, when you're sitting on a throne with angels and burning creatures around you, then you're something. Everybody else is not. There is only one <laughs> sitting on an eternal. I don't care about the rims you sit on and the business guys. I don't care about the corner office and the nice leather chair you're sitting on. There is one worthy of our worship and that we should be impressed with, the one who's sitting on the throne. Who sits on thrones? What? Kings, right? Judges. He's the king judge. And I love that it says he's sitting. Like He's not worried. He's not frustrated. He's not threatened. I'm so glad, Steve, that it doesn't show a picture of heaven of Jesus like pacing. And then there was one pacing on the, around the throne. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Race riots in Ferguson. Oh, my goodness. Same-sex marriage. ISIS beheadings. You know, the father's looking at the son and the Holy Spirit. They're like these mass shootings. What's going on? Did you see those East St. Louis statistics, Father? Oh, Holy Spirit. They're just, just like, oh, oh, Donald Trump in the office. No, 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 no. I mean, no, no, that's not happening. You won't see that. Listen, listen, listen. We're part of democracy, right? But, but, man, we need to know in a monarchy, like, like, like the king, when a king is seated, listen, that means that whatever he desires and decrees will happen no matter what. Your Christ, Christian, is seated on the throne in the midst of all the chaos of life. He's seated because Jesus Christ holds things effortlessly together by the power of his word, and he's in sovereign control over all the universe and over all of your life. Over all of your life. And I don't know what you're going through, but I know Genesis 50, 20 says the one seated will make everything the enemy means for evil. He will turn it for good. I don't know the types of loneliness you're facing and the trials that you're in right now, but I know the one seated on the throne promises to use his sovereignty for your good because all things work together. For the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Listen, he's seated on the throne. And, and here's a cool verse. Psalm 2 verse 4 says that God does something when humans think that they can overrun the rule of his son. Does anybody know what strange thing God does in response 
to people that think they can rule over his son? Can I shout it out? God laughs. Bible scholar in the corner over there. God laughs. Do you worship a laughing God? It's like, ha, they say I don't exist. <laughs> Allah is God. <laughs> they say they can do whatever they want. <laughs> true jesus on the throne will have the last laugh just read revelation chapter 20 when everyone whose name is not written in the lamb's book of life satan the false prophet the antichrist and all the non-elect angels will be thrown into the lake of fire that's why you can go forth with great confidence Because this Jesus is king judge over all. But church, we go to East St. Louis or Edwardsville or wherever he sends us, number four, because Jesus is supreme over all. Same category, but God is just stacking up these descriptions so that Isaiah and you and me can just download them into our souls to have strength to do the hard thing that most people wimp out about. He's just stacking these descriptions before us. He's supreme. Where do you get that from? Keep reading in verse one. Lord sitting up on the throne, high and lifted up. There it is. He is high and lifted up. Jesus is high. This means that his supremacy is way up there. All right? This means, when it says high and lifted up, this means that he is the highest of all. This means that Jesus' highness and supremacy reaches to the greatest vertical extent. Jesus' highness and supremacy is the greatest in amount, value, and size. Jesus' highness and supremacy is the greatest in rank or status. Jesus' highness and supremacy is far above the sky, the galaxies, and all the universe. The Bible says he's high and lifted up over all. Listen, Jesus is over all spiritual beings. Our brother read it from Colossians 1. All demonic and angelic authorities were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is high and above over all, not just spiritual beings, all human beings. Every category of authority has to bow its knee to Jesus Christ. Every emperor, every king, every president, the house, the senate, the supreme court, governors, local mayors, police chiefs, pastors, deacons, elders, teachers, all levels of authority, spiritual or human, have to lay flat before the king on the throne because he's higher than everyone. The Apostle Paul, a converted terrorist, records and worships the sacrifice and exaltation of Jesus like this in Philippians 2. Let's worship with him. Verse 8 through 11, listen. And being found in appearance as a man, 
Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, he's high. And God promises that one day, sooner or later, you might be cool, you might be cute, you might be tough. One day, sooner or later, you're going to bow. Now, 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 you're going to bow either willingly, right? It's like, thank you, Jesus. Or like forcefully. But you're going to bow. One day, like every, you know, I mean, like bow. You before the throne, me before the throne. One day, Oprah before the throne, Barack Obama before the throne. You know, you know like uh, before the throne, Justin Bieber right there. <laughs> Taylor Swift, bam. Katy Perry, Seriously, he's the king. This is why we go few more church we go feeling our own weakness in the power of this high and exalted one because jesus is full of majesty and splendor like i don't even use those words but it's like how is that burrito at chipotle majestic dude it's majestic so much splendor now some words just should be reserved for Jesus, because it's like, I mean, it, it just falls short. It falls short. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 1 again. It says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And you, you, got, you got to track with this, all right? So we don't know a lot about trains of robes. I guess maybe in a wedding dress or something, and the trains are getting lower and, all, and shorter, and that's another subject. But um, the, we know a little bit about the train of a wedding dress, but that's not what this text is talking about. If you bring this text, this verse, this thought of train of a robe into Isaiah's time in the East, in Isaiah's day, similar to today in countries where there are kings and queens, the train of a, of a emperor's robe communicated uh, dignity, splendor, majesty, wealth, importance, weightiness of office, okay? Richness of royalty. I mean, that's captured still a little bit in our day. If maybe you've seen a YouTube clip or something of, of uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, coronation as she's coming into her queenship um, in Westminster Abbey, this big old palace, and her, the train of her robe is so long that like these servant dudes have to like carry it. And, and what is that about? Like Queen Elizabeth is coming into the room and she's telling every other woman in England, you're not as valuable as me. That, that, that's what that is about. That, that you're not as important as me. That's what that is about. I mean, she's communicating that, that the weightiness and royalty of her office sets her apart from all other women in England. Look at Jesus' train. It says that it fills the temple. The, the, the train of his 
garment goes around and around and it layers on top of layers and on top of layers and on top of layers until it's stuffed into the corners of the temple and Isaiah can't even see nothing but the train because God is communicating how how weighty Jesus' office is and how royal he is and how much majesty and splendor that he has over and above all kings of all times and, and, and he wants Isaiah to know that he can go with confidence and strength to hard people and hard places because the one who goes with him has dignity so infinite in scope that the train of his robe stuffs every corner of the temple of heaven. This is the Jesus that we need to see And you will come up to Steve one day and say, my family, we're going overseas. One-way plane trip. Because they don't know about this Christ. And all of my friends do. And I'm gone. I'm gone. This is the Jesus. Last two. Church, we go where majesty summons us. Because number six, Jesus is infinitely holy. And I tremble to talk about this because this is, we have no real clue of what this is. May God give us help. Finally to verse two, let's read through verse four. It says, above him, above Jesus stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, this is awesome, another word we need to redeem and reserve for God, but I won't die on that hill. Uh, And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And verse 4 says, and the foundations of the threshold in the temple shook at the voice of the seraphim who called out and the house was full of smoke. I mean, there's, and you got to realize something. It says the seraphim here. This word means, ready? Burning ones, okay? Burning ones. So these burning ones, they're probably... Uh, 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 burning because of their proximity to the blazing glory of King Jesus. He is so glorious and they are so close to him that when Isaiah looks up, it appears that they are on eternal fire. This is amazing. This is amazing. Now, let's pause for a minute because this is very important. Like, the, the, the religious community and, and, and um, you know, the Christian bookstores and, and uh, not to get anybody mad, but like Hallmark stores, and they're cute. It's, uh, I Hallmark stores, ladies, don't, it is cute there. My wife likes going there. But when they p- present the kind of beings that are in the Lord's presence, it's not quite biblical. You know, like like the, the, ba- the little babies with the, the diapers, with two wings, 
the halo, you know, the little harp on a cloud, just like, you know, I mean, that doesn't strengthen me. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, they are the ones closest to the, the Lord. Like, is the Lord a teddy bear? I mean, is, I mean, and seriously, though, I think it's demonic. It's a demonic strategy. Because if the devil can water down in your mind the closest servants to the Lord and they're attached to him, then he can associate their fluffiness with his fluffiness. And nobody, I ain't going to St. Louis if those chubby babies are the closest things to my Lord. I'm just being real. We don't see that, though. Nowhere in the Bible, especially here. Theologians agree these are the closest beings to the proximity of the Lord's throne, and they have how many wings? Six. Just like, whoo, whoo, whoo. And they're seraphim. So these are blazing beasts with six wings. Then they are so powerful that when they speak, big pillars in the temple shake, and, and the, the room is filled with smoke. And listen. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who, 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 who get to read the Bible a little bit, I hope you do more and more. When angels show up in the Bible, by the way, they're usually in human appearance. When the angels in human appearance show up in the Bible, what do weak earthlings like us usually do? What's our, what, what, what do we do? cower. And what does the angel have to say? Yeah, fear not. Now watch this. These are angels in human appearance, not the six-winged beasts. Because they're coming out of the holy presence of God. Now let me ask you a question. If a seraphim burning six-winged started to descend into this room, what do you think he would do? You know, (laughs) My, some people say, oh, I would go, I would run. My answer has changed over the years. As I study this word, what it means, who they are, I used to say, man, I'd be out of here. Just like, oh, Seraphim, <laughs> you know, you saw the video, I, ran, I play running back. I, I, <laughs> and then as I studied the, the word more, I'm like, no, no, man, I would be flat on my face. It's like, oh, Seraphim, <laughs> then as I really looked at their proximity to the infinite holiness of Jesus and they're on fire and they're burning and blazing, I really believe this. As soon as a seraphim began to descend on this room, each and every one of us would be incinerated. Now let me tell you something about the holiness of Jesus. Jesus' holiness his purity, his blazing moral perfection is so infinite and off the charts that burning creatures that would incinerate you and me have to cover their eyes from him. 
as to say, we are creatures. Though we are holy, we cannot look upon the blazing glory of Jesus Christ. They cover their feet. Do not look at us. We are not worthy. Jesus is off the charts. Uncreated radiance and beauty blinds these embarrassingly inferior created servants to the point of being overcome by their own creaturely unworthiness before the holy king of glory. And all they do is back and forth, holy, holy, holy. Now, I don't think that's in reference to the Trinity. In Hebrew thought, repetition expressed the weightiness of a thing. So if I wanted to communicate, my wife's not here, but how weighty her beauty was, and you were a Hebrew audience, I would simply say, my wife Karen is beautiful. And if you were a Hebrew audience, you would say, oh, that's good, that's good, good. But then I would step it up. And I would say, no, you don't understand, Hebrew people. Listen, my wife Karen is beautiful, beautiful. Oh, 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 he said it twice. (laughs) But now if I really just wanted to just literally blow them away, I would say, you don't understand, Hebrew people. Listen, my wife Karen is beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, he said it three times. He saw I mean, it was, I mean, th- this is what, this is what, this is what the word of God is telling us. There is no attribute of God communicated three times like this. God is holy, holy, holy. The Hebrew word means cut off, separate. God is like infinitely opposite of all corruption, of all creation. He's in a holy class by himself. Jesus. Holiness does not mean that Jesus is just sinless and separate. Yes, but it means that he is God and there is no one else. Exodus 15, 11 says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? There's no one like him. Okay, there is no one like him. Who else is eternal and immortal like Jesus? You tell me. Who else is Lord of heaven and earth like Jesus? Can you think of anybody? Who else is king judge seated on an everlasting throne like Jesus? Who else is most high and supreme like Jesus? Who else is full of majesty, royalty, and splendor like Jesus? Who else is holy, holy, holy like Jesus? He has no competitors. He has no equals. Drop whatever excuses you're making. Go to that loved one. Go to that coworker. Go to that family member. Drop your bags and go overseas. Come to East St. Louis. Whatever God is calling you to do. Listen, there's no one like Jesus. And if you're following him, he's with you and he is enough. That's why my wife and I, we were like, here we are, Lord. Not because we're strong. Not because we're all that. Not because of seminary. Not because of Bible college. No, 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 no. Because this is the one calling. Finally. And you'll get a chance to respond. 
I mean, I mean a, a vision of Christ like this demands a response, right? I, I just pray it wouldn't be another Sunday of that's great, that's cool, let's hang out, go to lunch. I mean, no, 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 no. Not with this Jesus. He's worthy of all of us. Number seven. Church, we go wherever our holy Lord leads because Jesus is merciful Savior. Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. If you're like me, man, you should begin to feel small and sinful as we <laughs> walk through Isaiah 6. It's like your pride should be like, <laughs> is, that, is that really? And this is just scratching the surface. As Isaiah is no doubt on his face in humility, right? I mean, just imagine that. Seeing all this trembling under the weight of his filthy sin in light of the high, holy glory of Jesus, like you and I should be. When he's in that state, divine mercy comes. Look at verse 5 and 6. And Isaiah says, I said appropriately, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, I am wicked, I am sinful, I am done. Can I see your eyes for a minute? Just have, have you ever come to that place? Where you're like, I'm done, I'm sinful, I'm, I'm. he says, I deserve judgment. That's what that means. I deserve judgment. Until you see the weight of your wickedness before a holy God, you're not ready for mercy. Mercy means you, God, give me what I don't deserve. Until you know what you do deserve, mercy is not sweet to you. You deserve eternal judgment, and so do I. Isaiah knew this, and right when he was on his face confessing it, sweet mercy shows up. Look at verse 6. Then, right? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. This is beautiful. So right while Isaiah's on his face, overwhelmed by his own guilt and sin, obviously Jesus whispers to one of the seraphim who's just holy, holy. He said, chill out on the holy, holy. Hold on. I need you to do something. Okay. Like he says, go get a coal Go get some tongs. You thought tongs were earthly. See, they got tongs in heaven. So go get some tongs. It's like, that's cool. Some tongs, man. Go get some tongs. And go uh, get a coal. You know, some of y'all like grilling, the barbecue, all that stuff is already in heaven. Don't worry about it. Like, all right, like coal. Go get, go get some tongs. Get some charcoal. Get it off the altar and put it on his lips. I love these three words in that verse. It says, he flew to me, right? Isaiah couldn't get to heaven. The, those three words, the seraphim came to me. He flew to me. This represents the pursuing love of God. God always initiates and pursues. He seeks and saves the lost. Isaiah says he flew to me. I couldn't get to God, right, in my sin, so he came to me. And he forgave me and he cleansed me and, 
and, and we don't have time to get into it, but that brazen altar, this is a, the, where, the, where the coal was, this was an altar uh, on the outer courts of the Old Testament temple where uh, the, the worshiper, the Old Testament worshiper would bring a sacrifice and this altar would burn nonstop 24-7 to, to, to forgive the sins and atone for the sins of God's people. And does this sound familiar to any New Testament believer? The sacrifice on the altar where the coal came from that atones for sin points to the Lamb of God, who John the Baptist says in John 129 takes away the sins of the world. This is why Isaiah would say several chapters later, describing the suffering sacrifice to come. Listen, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you realize that 2,000 years ago, God flew to us in the person of Jesus Christ, friends? He lived a perfect life in our place. He died a horrific death on the cross. He rose from the dead. And anyone in this room or in this world who turns from their sins and trusts in this crucified, resurrected Savior will, verse 7, have their guilt taken away and their sin atoned for. Isaiah 6 is the gospel, according to Isaiah. As we prepare to respond, I just, I just want to leave you with this. Listen. Mm. The eternal king left his throne and wore a crown of thorns for you. The Lord of all submitted to the crushing of his father for you. The high and exalted one became a low and humble baby who would grow up to be murdered for you. The holy, holy, holy one was treated like a wicked sinner on a criminal's cross for you. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent his only son from the throne to the cross back to the throne so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life come to jesus keep coming and then go in this strength to tell edwardsville east st louis st louis and the ends of the earth about this Christ. Speaking of this Christ, his cleansing blood and his broken body, save us 
and send us out. We want to have a time now where you can respond to this big and beautiful Jesus. You'll see some questions on the screen, some heart questions, some obedience questions, knowing that the Lord is with you if you are trusting in him. And then as the Spirit of God speaks to you, my, my, my prayer is that you as an individual, as a family, even as a church, would just say, okay, okay, th- this, is, this is who is with us. This is who is calling us. This particular person or place, th- this, is, this is what I'm going to do, Jesus, um, as long as you're with me. And then somebody will be up to introduce communion, but, but let's respond. Father, this is overwhelming to my heart. Lord, forgive me for my low view of the glory of Jesus Christ. And maybe I don't appreciate and prize the gospel enough because I don't understand the weightiness and the glory of who Christ is before he even became a baby. What condescension, what humility. And so, Lord... Would you bless my friends, some that may not even know you, grant them repentance and faith in the gospel, and those of us who do, strengthen us to obey at whatever cost. In Jesus' name, amen.